Thank you so much for joining me today, John. Um, before we get into the election returns, I was wondering if you could provide me with an overview of your work developing the American Presidency Project. So just what is the project and how is it used? Right, so the American Presidency Project uh, began life in uh, 1999 as a way to give students access to original presidential documents in my presidency class. And uh, we discovered that uh, the rate of usage of the site was much greater than could be accounted for by students. And we realized there was demand for the site uh, in the general public. And uh, so it basically got out of control and we uh, became ambitious and started collecting documents. And now we have uh, uh, public presidential documents from uh, George Washington to Donald Trump, uh, 140,000 or so, and expanding regularly all the time. So throughout your career, you've looked at a lot of election days. Um, besides the fact that we're in the midst of a global pandemic, what stands out to you is especially unique in this election compared to other presidential elections? Well, there are two things, I suppose, that at least there are lots of things uh, that are odd about this election. But one of them is that um, the degree of uncertainty about the outcome and the, the fact that um, uh, results in multiple states are uh, at question at the same time, which is, uh, I, I don't recall ever ever being the case in the past. And uh, second in this election, uh, a, a especially even more so than in, uh, in the 2016 election, there has been, uh, there was a, a great deal of certainty that seemed to be uh, forecast in the polls, and the election turned out to be much closer than was expected. And uh, and not just pollsters, but smart people who forecast elections uh, were really confident that this was going to be sort of a slam dunk for Biden, and, uh, and that's just been wrong. And it's so it's led to a lot of troubling soul searching on the part of pundits and pollsters. So based on what you know right now and what the current status is, can you give listeners kind of an overview of what the electoral map looks like right now? Um, in your opinion, does it look like Joe Biden will secure the presidency? And what are his most likely routes to achieving that? Well, at the, at the moment uh, today, which is Thursday, uh, at noon, the uh, the election is not yet decided. Joe Biden has, to, by most counts, has 253 electoral votes. He needs 270 to win. Uh, some people may be giving him more electoral votes than that. Uh, it depends on who you look at. And he can. There are four states that are undecided by most by most observers, and. Uh, almost any one of them could put him over the top and give him uh, an electoral victory. So he's very, very close. Uh, 
to, to winning. And so we're waiting for uh, the conclusion of counts in, in various states. And in, in almost all these cases, the fact that we don't know yet is due to the fact that there have been so many mailed in ballots, which take longer to count. And, um, and because it's such an, a close election, just having mailed in ballots doesn't lead to this result, but uh, having mailed in ballots that take longer to count. And in some jurisdictions, the law actually prohibits them from beginning to count the mailed in ballots until the day of the election or even the night of the election. So um, it's guaranteed to have a, a long drawn out counting period. So kind of relating to that, um, President Trump has launched a number of legal actions to halt vote counting in three battleground states and demands a recount in Wisconsin after Biden was declared the victor. If Trump loses, where do you see this going legally? Um, and what could the president do to try and block a smooth transition if it's found that Biden wins the vote? Well, so we'll stipulate right off the bat that I am not a lawyer. And so um, the, the, I'm offering opinions that are maybe not the, you know, really most informed from a legal perspective. And I think in the, in the case of in many states, and this is probably the case in Wisconsin as well, uh, when, when, a, when the vote margin is sufficiently small, then there's automatically a recount, or that was the case in Florida in the year 2000, or either candidate can request a recount. So it's not an extraordinary, doesn't require extraordinary legal claims in order to do that. In some other jurisdictions, uh, the president's legal team, as I understand it, is arguing that uh, something is procedurally wrong about the way the, the remaining ballots are being counted. And, uh, and it's uh, consistent with the president's uh, warnings all along as this campaign has, has uh, developed that that there would, that if the, uh, the election results as they stood on the night of the election would be the only valid election results. And after that point, uh, it, it would, any change in the uh, outcome would be some kind of evidence of voter fraud or mis, uh, uh, or fraudulent behavior on the part of the vote counters. So, uh, my understanding is that today, two courts in two different jurisdictions, these are not federal courts, they're state courts, have thrown out the Republican uh, challenges. But uh, the, the Trump campaign will keep, uh, keep at this. And, uh, and the president made very plain before the election that he believed that it was likely that in legal terms, this case would end up at the Supreme Court, which was why he wanted to be sure that Amy Coney Barrett was on the court before the election to guarantee him a size of majority that he thinks he would he would get. Uh, I, I don't have any reason to think that he really uh, has that uh, a basis for, for being so confident about that. In the, the previous election, the 
uh, in the 2000 election, the, the, the court, although it was a partisan vote, the, the justification for it was about uh, complying with timetables time and the need to have some kind of a conclusive end to the electoral vote count, to the vote counting process in order to follow constitutional procedures. We're a long way from that now. That was not until December. And so it's not until we get into December and the electoral electors have to vote that you hit those kinds of deadlines. Uh, the, Trump, uh, the Trump campaign, uh, I, I, don't, I have no idea what, what kinds of strategies they're contemplating. Uh, uh, one of the concerns has been uh, uh, people who've made up scenarios about how things can go wrong have expressed a concern that a, uh, a legislature in a state uh, where the president appears to lose, but the legislature is Republican, might uh, certify a... Uh, a roster of electors and forward a set of electoral votes that would certify that the president had won that state, despite the fact that the um, account of, of, of votes that had come out of the vote county process gave the victory to, uh, to Joe Biden. And uh, part of the Part of the strategy in a case like that would be to create um, a circumstance where there is uh, controversy about the validity of electors, which can be resolved in Congress. And so uh, one of the cases, the most important prior historical cases that involved competing slates of electors was the 1876 election, which nobody alive today remembers, including me. Uh, and uh, the, in the 1876 election, uh, Congress, both houses of Congress created a special commission which made decisions and they made these decisions in a strictly partisan way, basically. Uh, there was a narrow majority uh, in favor of one party and they uh, eventually dictated it. But there was a sort of a deal done about the conditions under which this uh, election would be resolved that resulted in, um, in Hayes winning, being declared the, the victor. And, uh, and so uh, the, the votes that decision was resolved in Congress. In the event that um, that uh, it's not possible to have a, somebody with an electoral college majority, uh, then the decision goes to Congress, where uh, the states vote state by state in the House of Representatives for the president. So that would mean that the state of California would get one vote, uh, the same as the state of Montana. And, uh, and there are more uh, congressional delegations that have Republican majorities than Democratic majorities. And so then in that scenario, with no electoral college majority, 
then the decision would be made in the House and presumably it would be made uh, to favor uh, President Trump. Uh, that's a long way away, involves a lot of speculation and um, lots of calm, cool-headed people, perhaps including the, the majority on the Supreme Court, would probably like to avoid having that because that would be, we, we already have a situation where uh, Joe Biden has majority of the popular vote and his popular vote margin is probably going to get bigger uh, over the course of the next 48 hours. And, um, and I think, you know, this is, everybody is already pretty wrought up in this election period. And there are already people out marching in streets in some locations. And I think that uh, if there were a decision of that sort in the House of Representatives, that that, that would be a very, lead to a very tumultuous period in American history. Um, so you've mentioned this before, but in terms of polling, uh, dozens of polls showed that Joe Biden was the, would be the clear winner um, in the weeks leading up to the election, and the Democrats were likely to gain the majority in the Senate. But based on what we've seen so far, these polls have been off. Why do you think we've seen a trend in unreliable presidential polling for two elections in a row now? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, fortunately, I'm not a public opinion guy and I don't do polling. <laughs> Bad for you, uh, because I I'm, uh, don't have any special expertise on this subject. The, the comments that I have heard from people uh, that I think are in some way the most interesting is that there is there's something about the Donald Trump candidacy that is systematically throwing off opin opinion polling. And I've heard two uh, different kinds of, uh, of arguments. And one is that there, uh, for some reason, pollsters are simply not tapping into the Trump voters. They're not identifying them correctly. And, uh, and so they're, they're not getting the answer correct and that's a that's a, a polling problem uh that is donald trump people who favor donald trump are simply not being asked the question that's the that's that answer the other answer is that um, they are systematically underestimating the probability that donald trump people will turn out and vote which is a a problem they've had for a long time of estimating likely voters. So what we see in most of these polls are, are models that have tried to identify who the likely people are that are likely to turn out and vote, and they give us that uh, that result. But if you get, so if you get that wrong, you get that systematically wrong all the time. And as President Trump has said, you get uh, a, a lot more sort of intensity and enthusiasm uh, among his core core voters, then you can get greater turnout than you you uh, anticipate uh, anticipate getting. So um, I, I think this is a, a big problem for pollsters, uh, but it may not be a problem in most circumstances. So polling may still be a really useful way of finding out things about what people think. 
it just may turn out not to be good in a situation where we're dealing with um, hard to estimate things about people who have not been active in politics um, are turned off by uh, anybody that seems to be affiliated with uh, mainstream media and pollsters may seem that way. Um, so the U.S. is on track to see over 160 million votes cast in this election with a turnout rate of 67%, which is higher than the country has witnessed in more than a century. What do you think this says about our democracy and where the country and its citizens are today? Yeah, you know, that's, a, that's also an interesting question. And over the, <clears throat> over the years, we have often regarded turnout as a kind of indicator of of the health of a democracy. And so um, uh, low turnout seems to suggest that people are not interested, that politics doesn't speak to them in a, uh, in a deep way that makes them care enough to go to the polls. Some places uh, have very high turnout rates, but, uh, but it's hard to uh, separate that fact from the uh, the legal system that makes it harder or easier to register to vote. So uh, in lots of countries, the state has the responsibility to register voters. Anybody that's uh, legally entitled to vote can expect that they'll be recognized as a legal voter if they go to the polls or they follow the right procedures. That's not true in the United States and hasn't been for many decades, citizens have to actually register to vote. So, um, so in this election, higher turnout partly reflects uh, legal changes in many jurisdictions to make it easier for people to register or to facilitate the registration process. So that's one factor is that the the legal context is different in a lot of jurisdictions. We know that's not true in every jurisdiction. Some, in some jurisdictions, there's been active efforts to, to make it more difficult to register. Uh, the second factor, though, that I think really, really matters is that um, people turn out when they care about voting. And uh, something that political scientists like to say all the time is that it's really irrational for people to vote because you should, it's like, it's a sort of economist way of thinking, I guess, but political scientists have embraced this too, is that, uh, you know, you, you should vote when you think it makes a difference. When you think your vote really might make a difference, then you turn out and vote. And uh, there are lots of stories where uh, important elections for, um, for Senate or governor or uh, house are decided by uh, really a handful of votes. So sometimes uh, it makes sense that citizens think that their vote really makes a difference. And sometimes people vote because they just wanna register their point of view. Uh, they want it to be known that they think this or that. And I think unquestionably this election is very intense. People's view, people's have very intensely held held views, and we've seen that in the long lines of polling places. 
you know, the fact that people would go and stand in line for five hours, 10 hours longer at a polling place, sometimes in bad weather, in order to be able to vote, that's, that's really says something about their determination to make their voice heard. Those are all the questions I had for you, but is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I, uh, well, I, I, you know, this has been the most troubling election that I can remember in my lifetime. And that includes some fairly troubling elections. And uh, I have uh, never contemplated the, the prospect that a president might actively try in some way to undermine the um, legitimacy of a, of a voting process. There have been plenty of opportunities in the past. We've had really close elections in the past and a, a sort of, of um, parlor game that uh, political uh, junkies like to play is to go back to elections. Jerry Ford versus Jimmy Carter. If we shift 6,000 votes in the right jurisdictions in the state of Ohio, Jimmy Carter loses, Gerald Ford becomes the president. If we change you know, 20,000 votes in the states of Illinois and Texas, uh, Richard Nixon becomes the president in 1960, not John, John Kennedy. And so we, we've had lots of really close elections and, and plausible circumstances where you could imagine that there was fraud. I mean, if anybody was capable of, of manipulating the election in 1960, it was, uh, it was uh, Lyndon Johnson in Texas. And so, uh, but we've never, had, we've never had a circumstance like this before, I think, where, where the willingness of the president himself to accept and underscore a, a, a legitimate outcome, a plausibly legitimate outcome, is uh, that's really uh, that's really uh, without precedent. Um, one of the things we've just been doing, by the way, at the American Presidency Project, is collecting concession statements. There's a guy who's a, a C, CNN commentator named uh, Van Jones who has uh, put out a TED talk in which he says something like. One of the most important norms in American politics uh, is that the loser concedes. They don't drag it out. They don't continue to fight. They just concede and, and say, you know, I'm not going to go away, but uh, let's move on. And so uh, we realized we didn't have this collection of concession speeches. And it raised an interesting question for me, is this a true? <laughs> that everybody always concedes. And so uh, uh, we've started trying to collect those. And I uh, will be, uh, if current trends continue, and what I see on my Twitter feed about the vote counting in different jurisdictions, uh, I think it's pretty reasonable to expect that Joe Biden will win in the uh, Electoral College. Uh, it may be close. And uh, um, I'll just be interested to see how uh, President Trump uh, responds to that. Thank you to John Woolley, UCSB political science professor and co-founder of the American Presidency Project, for joining me to discuss the election returns 
and their greater context in American history. As votes continue coming in on the national stage, remember to keep perspective and avoid overreacting to false or misleading reports. KCSB News will continue to keep you informed about the local and national election in the coming days and weeks with updated content on our website at kcsb.org. With KCSB News, I'm Ashley Rush.